It's our 100th episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. We'll do a little bit of celebrating later in the show, but first, we are honored to be joined by the first baseman of the Kansas City Royals, Vinny Pasquantino, as he talks about the shift, analytics, Vinny Testaverde, and being a young Major League player in 2023. All of that is next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruben Guy. How are you, Ruben? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It is our 100th episode. That's right, 100 episodes of the Beat the Shift podcast. And we've got on a special guest tonight. He grew up in Virginia. He was the 11th round pick out of Old Dominion to majors here. Uh, He's first baseman for the Kansas City Royals. Roster Resource projects him to be the cleanup hitter heading into the 2023 season. Came up to the majors last year after the Royals traded away Carlos Santana, and he raked. He had 10 homers in his first 72 games. He had another 18 homers over at AAA this past year. And in terms of our metrics, he had a 12% walk rate last year and a remarkable 11% K rate. That's right. He had 35 walks and only 34 strikeouts. Fantastic. Early ATC projections project him to have... 23 homers and a 280 batting average with 76 RBIs, almost a three-war player next year. Very glad to have on Vinny Pasquantino. Welcome to the show, Vinny. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys taking the time to want to interview me. Um, you know, it's exciting to talk. I don't know what you guys are going to ask me, but uh, projections are cool, I guess. Uh, anytime you read good numbers like that, it's always a good thing. So hopefully I can uh, go ahead and beat those projections. Oh, absolutely. Well, I didn't know how you'd react to uh, the projection or whether uh, whether you thought they were good or not, but uh, ho- hopefully you do. Well, I mean, they're, to be a three-war player would be uh, pretty good, but I, I think we always shoot to be higher than any projections given. If you had projected me an eight-war player, I would have said, why not be a nine? So that's just kind of how my, my mind works. So, so there you go. Absolutely. Uh, I love the attitude. Um, and, you know, just to, to start off, what has been the highlight of your career so far? Ooh, oh man, so many different things. Um, I think uh, I think hitting hitting ten homers was a pretty cool highlight, and to do it on the last day of the uh, last day of the season, it's kind of funny. I told my the, the reason it's kind of a highlight is because I didn't care about the homer at the time that it happened, other than that it that it put us up. Um, I was the most nervous I had ever been going into a game because at the time they had told me that I had. <laughs> one less strike or one more walk than strikeout, and I was and Aaron Savali was pitching, who was a guy who I had faced earlier that week and didn't see him well. So the whole whole game, I was just super nervous going into the game. Like, <laughs> all right, I want to I want to walk more than I strike out. So let's just make this happen. And then I hit a homer, and then I realized it was homer number ten, which is always just good to get into double digits. So it was uh that was probably the highlight. Just uh, being able to get to double digits was pretty cool. And you know, there's so many different things, so many personal things, so many team things that we don't have time to get into. But that was kind of the first thing that popped into my head, mostly because it was the last game that we played. So it's probably the freshest thing on my mind. And do you model your your game after anybody, after any player in particular, after someone you, someone you watched growing up or something like that? 
No, there was never a guy that I said, I want to be like this or I want to be like that. There was always a bunch of different players. Typically, they were left-handed first basemen. Um, but nobody that – no one player that I just said, all right, I want to be like him. Okay, but what do you think so far has been the biggest difference between playing in college and playing in the minors and playing in the majors? What, what, what's the difference when you make those three different jumps? I think it's just the game gets faster. Right, guys are just better. Um, and that's a really dumbed down answer, but I think that's really what it is, is guys are just, uh, they're more experienced. They're a little bit more sharp. Um, I mean, the difference you're talking about razor thin differences, and you can even see it in the major leagues between, uh, an average player, a good player and a great player. And especially, um, you numbers guys that's, I don't say that in a, in a demeaning way. I just say it in a way of, uh, cause you guys extrapolate all the data and kind of find those small differences. Like the difference between a 130 WRC plus and a 120 WRC plus is really not that big of a difference. Uh, you're talking about maybe a few more homers, a few more extra base hits, whatever it may be, and that's just that's just kind of the difference that I see is that you know as you go up, those margins get even thinner. And what makes a great player great is being great consistently. Um, it's that's just kind of how I see it. I love that, and you know your numbers so well. By the way, I'm really impressed. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. You know, speaking of analytics, as I'm the numbers guy here on the show, um, you know, what can you tell me about, uh, you know, what the Royals provide you in terms of uh, analytics? I'm not looking for anything specific to give away Royal secrets, but, you know, what, what kinds of tools in general do you use to, to help your game as you prepare? Um, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a complete prick, but uh, they give us what we need and they give us enough information that each guy can have. Um, I'm not going to dive into kind of what specifically we do, but we're, uh, we're beginning to start, not beginning to start, but it, you know, it's been a few years now where, um, technology is taking over a little bit and I'm not saying the human aspect is going away, but, um, we're relying a little bit more on technology than I remember us doing years prior and, you know, different things, the way that we prepare for games. Um, in my opinion, is really special, and I think it's really going to provide a nice blueprint for what we could be in the future um, just by the way that we prepare. And a lot of that preparation comes from data that we get um, and kind of different ways that we use analytics to get ready for a game. All right, so I'm going to ask you this a little bit differently then. Um, do you think that the preparation is more about harnessing your strengths, playing to what you do well, or – is it about improving on what you don't do well, or is it about exploiting your opponent's weaknesses? I think uh, if I were to rank the three, one would be going towards your strengths, two would be exploiting opponent's weaknesses, and three would be uh, kind of tinkering with your own weaknesses. And the biggest example I use to that is how I think pitching has gone, and that's if you have a super elite pitch, you throw it and you throw it a lot because it doesn't matter where you locate it or anything like that. If it's, if it's better than what the other guy has, you win. Um, and there's anomalies where a guy might get you or something like that. But if you have something that is special, you use it. And then of course you want to tinker with your weaknesses um, and try to turn them into strengths. I mean, that's typical. Uh, I mean, that's interviewing 101 is how am I going to work on my weaknesses? But if you have something that's special, you dominate it. And if you can become a dominant player using something that you have, you're still a dominant player, even if you have weaknesses. So I think, it, I think that's a great question because 
there could be so many different ways that I could go into that answer, but that's how I view it. And I've heard you say in other in other places that you don't put specific goals or expectations on yourself because once you hit them, then after that, where are you going to go from there? But where do you see yourself or where do you want to be by, let's say, the All-Star break and, let's say, by the end of the season? I mean, by the All-Star break, I don't want to have a break, if that makes sense. I'm not going to just say that out loud, um, but I'm hoping to be playing in a game um, at that time of year. Um, and then as you get towards the end of the season, I mean, my main goal is to be, you know, a force in, in a forceful lineup, if that makes sense. Like I want to be an impactful bat on an impactful team and hopefully, hopefully we can do something special with the Royals here over the next few years. I love it. I, I love it. All right. Well, before we go on, it's time for the injury gurus trivia of the week. So whenever we have a guest on the show, I always try to um, have the trivia question specific for that specific guest. So, Vinny, this is a question for you. The shift has been banned starting this coming season. You ended the season batting 295. Being a lefty, you got shifted against in 216 out of 298 plate appearances. Do you know what your batting average was against the shift last year? Ooh, against the shift. So Against the shift. Wait, you mean like... When I was hitting, when the, when when the it, shift was on. That's correct. Ooh, uh, I want to say 265. You're discounting yourself. You actually batted 308 against wow. the shift. Oh, so I which, sucked against non-shift. That's <laughs> that, which, which, which brings me to my next, which brings me to my next question. And how do you approach at bats when there was a shift? And now this coming year is going to be any different with the ch- with the change of rules and like that and stuff like that. Are you going to you know take your at bats differently, approach it differently? <laughs> um, I'm going to change nothing. <laughs> um, there was a I think I think it gets misconstrued a little bit when a guy goes the other way against the shift. And I do believe that there was a few at bats where I was thinking like the one specifically I can remember was in Toronto. They went four man outfield. I was facing Max Castillo, who's now a teammate of mine, who's a sinker guy. And when that happened, I just said, okay, I'm literally just going to hit a ground ball up the middle. And I was able to do it, which was good. Uh, But that was the only time I can remember honestly thinking about it. Like the four-man outfield, that messed with me a little bit last year because it had never happened. So the few times that it did happen, that messed with me. But uh, there was a few times I'd go the other way against the shift, and it more had to do with what the pitcher was doing. Um, than, a, than what the fielders were doing. So for me, I'm more focused on the scouting report that I have on a pitcher. I'm not trying to place the ball. I'm trying to do damage um, in a location that I'm looking for. So I'm not really worried where the necessarily where the players are unless I'm looking to bunt. So that's the only situation where I'm really looking where the fielders are is when I'm bunting. Yeah, and there's uh, not going to be a four-man outfield anymore because the rules are you got to have two on the left, two on the right, and all starting in the infield. But, you know, I want to ask a silly question, and – um, I can never get a great answer. Maybe maybe you have a clue. Uh, what, why don't left-handed hitters in the majors go the other way or or bunt more? Because just the layman here feels like, you know, if if the left-handed and of course it's all going away with the shift going away. But if if batters bunted or attempted, even if you're out some of the times, wouldn't that cut down the shift? And and maybe you maybe you know maybe you make it. Maybe uh, in spring training you guys practice a little bit more bunting, just to you know one out of every seven at bats you give it a shot on the shift. Why doesn't that happen more than it than it, it did? Well, so it depends on what kind of player you are. So for me, if you I'm I'm technically not in, I'm I'm very slow. So I'm really slow. Um, and if we want to, this is where we can dive into more uh, 
value type stuff is if I lay down a bunt and I get on first base, I'm probably not going to steal second and I'm probably not going to steal third. And it's going to be harder for me to score on a ball down the line or a ball in the gap. So kind of the thinking is, and this is not, this is not private information or anything. The thinking is that I'm more valuable if I'm trying to hit an extra base hit because an extra base hit for me would be more valuable to the team if I, than as if I'm on first base. So that's kind of the thinking there. Um, the other kind of way to think about it is a team kind of on the same, same vein is a team would rather have me at first base than have me hit a homer or hit a double. So they're just going to let me bunt. So they're, even if I bunt it all the time, they're not going to move. They're just going to let it happen. So I think that kind of gives some insight on, onto that a little bit. Thank you so much for that answer. Cause I, I've been noodling around this for a while and I really appreciate that. That's a great answer. Oh, thanks. <laughs> now, actually, you are pretty active on social media. How important do you think it is to interact with the new generation of fans using Twitter and Instagram and other outlets? I think it's super important. Uh, I just think the game and sports in general have changed. Um, I listened to an interview with Cal Ripken Jr. one time where he said he never looked at himself as really an entertainer. He looked at himself as a sportsman. And that's very, very true. Um, However, the way that the game is going is we want to get as many eyeballs on it as humanly possible because we want to share the game that we love with the fans. And in, in that same space is we are entertainers. Yes, we're sportsmen and we want to go out there and win and we want to go be professional and do everything we can to you know, get a win on, on an every night basis. But we're also there to entertain the fans. Um, and I, you know... I'm not on social media to entertain people. I'm on it because I like doing it and I think it's fun to interact and do things like that. But I think in this new age that we're living in, this digital age, like it's, we have access to fans now. They have access to us in ways that never have happened before. So in my opinion, I think it's awesome to be able to interact with people who spend their money to watch us play. I mean, at the end of the day, we are entertainment within a, within a competition, within a sport but we are entertainment. So I think it's great to be able to interact with those who come watch us play. Yeah, total, totally agree on that. Um, question for you. Um, as a member of the Royals, uh, you, you get to know the guys a lot better than we do. Who, who do you think is an undervalued player on your team? And maybe just from a playing perspective, but also maybe from an intangibles perspective. Oh, man, there's so many. I think my, my immediate answer would go to Hunter Dozier or Nicky Lopez. Um, both of those guys for... For, we had so many young guys come up, and those were kind of some two steady presence, presences in the clubhouse that we had every day. And the problem with me naming two people is that I'm missing out on so many different people. But those were the first two guys that came to my mind of just like, they're super important to kind of how our everyday process goes. Um, and it's just great to have them around and just be able to bounce things off of because they've experienced so much within the game. And a lot of the team, a lot of your teammates have come up through the minor system, minor league system with you. How much has that affected you being there on the team now with the same people you came up with? Yeah, I think there's a level of comfort there because we played together coming up through the system and so many of us got there this year that it was just kind of status quo in a good way. Um, like it, everything was super exciting, but we were able to be comfortable because we were around people that we had been through our entire career. So it was a, it was definitely a really special year in that aspect. So um, who, who do you think has been the biggest influence in your career thus far? And the answer could be your dad, a favorite coach, a player, could be anyone, right? 
Yeah, uh, to be honest, there's too many to name. Uh, both of my parents have been unbelievable in my process. Uh, my fiance Ryan, she's been my steady force throughout my entire professional career. Uh, without her, I don't. I personally don't believe I'd be where I'm at. But I could say that about my parents, like a few friends, um, former teachers, whatever it may be. But I guess I guess I'll play politics and uh, say say my fiance Ryan just because of how great she is and how great she's been to me. Now, on Twitter, actually, this past week, you mentioned that you actually went to the Jets-Dolphins game that ended the season this pa- a couple weeks ago. Now, you are a big Jets fan, from what I found out, and you're a fan of Vinny Testaverde growing up in Virginia. How did that happen? Yeah, so basically that was it. It's just I guess I put a game on TV one day and saw that Vinny Testaverde was the quarterback and was like oh that's my name i'm gonna like the jets everybody in my family actually likes a different team so there isn't being in virginia there there's some washington football fans there there's not too many ravens fans for some reason but it's really kind of washington is kind of the main team but not really like there isn't one team that everybody likes so you kind of just get your pick of the litter essentially and i picked the jets and i picked them when i was so young and it's been my entire life now so i can't stop now yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Ariel Miranda is not really my favorite player in baseball. There aren't too many Ariels out there, i got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it was just something that it just stuck with me from such a young age, and it's like, all right, i got to keep it going. Right. Ruben, I forget, are, are you a Jets fan or Giants fan here in New York? I am a Giants fan. Right, same here. It's weird because, uh, you know, most we're Mets fans, by the way. Um, m- most Mets, M- Mets fans are Jets fans for some strange reason. I guess they played Usually. in the same stadium. For a little yeah. while. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, my Twitter, I would say, is mostly Royals fans. Then it, then I would say it's Mets fans because I'm a Jets fan now, <laughs> uh, which is which is kind of funny. So it's funny, like, if I'm at MetLife or something like that, Mets fans will comment, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. Another, another really cool thing about social media um, and where we live today. Yeah, and you can you meet people of different interests from all the way all the way over the place, and they'll recognize you for oh, there's Vinny, he's the Mets fan, you know, or he's this, or he's the Jets fan. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's go. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, question: So, uh, uh, you know, you faced a bunch of pitchers so far in the majors. Who do you think has been the toughest pitcher for you to face, and why? Um, well, so <laughs> one funny stat I know about myself is three pitchers. Uh, currently have struck me out more than once. Two of them are Old Dominion University alums um, where I went to school. One of them being Ryan Yarborough, who is now a teammate of mine, so he can no longer strike me out, which is fantastic for me. <laughs> and then the other would be Justin Verlander. Um, he's good. He's uh, he's certifiably a really good pitcher. So yeah. he's going to be my answer for that um, because, you know, Anytime you could say a Hall of Famer has your number, you're in a pretty good spot, I feel like. So, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and say Verlander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the 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 depth of the pitches? Is it the the uh, the, the tunneling? Like, what, what what does it for you for him? Uh, well, I mean, clearly he does so many different things well, but without getting too deep into it, because I do need to face him next year, and I'd like to yep, be successful yep. off him. Um, the way that he uses his arm slot to create different angles um, – of where he's going with the ball and the way he uses his vertical break um, is really special. And then to be able to pair that with a few different pitches that he has um, in his toolbox, he's just uh, definitely a special pitcher. That's for sure. 
Well, thank you so much, Vinny, for, for coming on the show. Uh, what, what are you up to in the next uh, couple of weeks before uh, spring training starts? I'm trying to just relax and hang out. Um, we've got a few cool things coming up the next few weeks that some of them I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, so I can't give too much away, but we've got some cool things coming uh, in the next few weeks, especially if you're a Royals fan. That sounds great. All right, awesome. once again, thank you so much, Vinny Pasquantino, for joining the show. Yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate it a ton. All right, best of luck uh, to you in the season, and uh, we'll be right back on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. All right, we are back on the Beat the Shift podcast once again. Thanks so much to uh, Vinny Pasquantino for coming on the show. And, you know, it's our 100th episode, Ruvain, so uh, we wanted to, to just celebrate a little bit on that nice round milestone uh, you know, con- congrats on the first hundred to you. Yes, congrats to you too. We, you've done a great job uh, helping put this podcast together, helping put out the uh, you know putting out the ATC projections, which is the mainstay of, and what, of what we do. So good job, and and you know, let's do another hundred. Sounds good to me. Uh, and you know, we do this for the fans, and we really hope that you listening to to the show really means something, and uh, and uh, that you're getting a lot out of it, and so. Couple people have actually sent us some comments about the first hundred episodes, and figured we'd uh, take this time uh, to uh, read it. So I'll start reading here. Uh, Fezic on Twitter, he says, "No fantasy baseball podcast does a better job at explaining game theory and how to value players than the Beat the Shift podcast. It also has hands down the best theme music of all fantasy pods." Well, thank you so much, Fezic, for that. And um, I don't know if I mentioned this before. If I did, maybe once or twice, but the theme music actually comes from my brother's saxophone teacher when he was growing up. He had a nice uh, nice album. Uh, it was called Oneness World, nice little jazz band, and uh comes from that. All the pieces on the show do come from that album, so thank you so much uh, for, for the comment there. And it's, it's funny because when we do the live shows, we actually see people bouncing their heads to the music while it's on, so it's kind of funny. So it's kind of yeah. good to see the people enjoy that as well. Yeah, you weren't there uh, this past year, but uh, w- w- when I when I uh, I was in the room where we were ready to start, and there was I don't know, maybe twenty people coming in, and as they were coming in the room, piling in, they were going da 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 dum bum bum, and they were just singing and dancing to it even before we started the show. That was that was kind of fun. So I'm I'm glad that people like the music. Yeah, it's really good. Bill Hammock says. I like the more mathematical approach and the use of dollar values in discussions. We do that for all the players, so we we can do it every year, the same thing, so we're going to keep up what we're doing because it seems to be working. Yeah, and, you know, obviously there's different formats. There's 10-team, 12-team, points, roto. Can't really say everything. Um, we try to be broad in terms of what we talk about, that it applies to everything, where we'll list differences. But in general, when we list numbers, we'll pick one format, and we'll pick the NFBC format only because it's standardized, so 15-team league, and, you know, includes more players, so we can, you know, some of the some of the bottom players will have 2 $4 instead of, you know, negative 3 So uh, thanks for that. Appreciate it. Uh, Doris says, it's a must-listen podcast. So informative and entertaining. A must-listen if you want to compete in fantasy Baseball championships. Very glad that you are you are winning your championships of your league and glad that we're entertaining. Thanks, Doris. Mike Lefty Centeno says, the auction strategy episode was one of my favorites and helped me win my league. Well, congratulations on your league win, and we hope it'll help you win many more leagues to come and many more years to come. Um, our auction strategy is the mainstay of this podcast. 
podcast. We try to uh, go through it as much as possible and try to help as many people win as many leagues as possible. Yeah, and we'll once again have another auction-specific episode somewhere in the draft season here. I think we had on Glenn Colton this year. We had DVR, Derek Van Riper, on the previous year. We will have someone on uh, who's an expert at strategy, and you know we'll, we'll be talking with them and hope you like that as well. Uh, Phil McCracken says, Auction strategy episodes are my favorite, though. There you go. Have changed the way I prepare for auctions and have significantly improved my drafting. Also love listening to debates between the guests and the hosts over various player projections. And, uh, yeah, that's what we do. So what we do in, in the draft season is we half our show is strategy, as we like to begin with it. And then we do undervalued players from ATC. So um, ATC projections will spit out some values and the market prices them a certain way. And we'll see the places where uh, ATC is showing better than the market. And we die, uh, do a deep dive by position into a handful of those players. I mean, Aaron Judge was one of those players last year uh, that we debated. And, of course, if you had picked it out that ATC was saying he was a bargain, <laughs> you would have been pretty good. Now, obviously, there's some players that don't work out. But, you know, where where you can find value, we deep dive to see whether we really agree with the projections. And uh, we'll continue to do that this year as well. And as for disagreeing with the different player projections, we do that not because we think it'll make good sound on, on the podcast, but we actually believe in what we're saying. We follow what we do. And if you are in, if some people who listen to the show are in leagues with us, they'll see that we actually follow what we say. Rashid26 says, Great show. There's not anyone better in the industry. This show is especially good for fantasy players looking for practical information that is balanced in its approach and also timely. I particularly like the insights into figuring out in-season management, especially the fab waiver pickups. Well, that's a big part of this of, of the of fantasy baseball season is the fab and waiver pickups, and I think we try to get into it as much as possible. And we even know that this past year we have some we had some deficiencies in that, and we have to work on that just like everybody else. Yeah, always having to work on on improving. That's the way to do it. And you know, we we bring on people who have experience with fab, great players with that. Um, for for episodes that you know deal with prospects. We bring on the prospect ex uh, experts. You know, we try to match the guest with the topic, or you know, we'll build a show around a guest so that we get you the best information uh, that can help you in your league. Uh, and finally, final comment from Trevor. He says, "100 episodes speaks for itself." Recently discovered the ATC projections and enjoy listening to past episodes and hearing uh, Ariel and Ruvain's preseason values and the amazing hit rate. On those players, I think you're referring to the fact that I always say that uh, hit rate is more important than magnitude. Getting a player right directionally, meaning knowing when to buy a player when a player is undervalued and knowing when to pass a on a player when a player is overvalued, that is more important than actually getting right by how much, right? It didn't really matter for Aaron Judge if you knew he was going to be a $60 player this year. If the market was at 24 and you had 27 you bought him, and of course, if you buy him, you realized all the profit. That's definitely a very big part of it, knowing that hit a hit is more than mag. The frequency is more than the severity in actuarial speak, I should say. Uh, so thank you for pointing that out, Trevor, and so glad that we made it to 100 episodes, really. Ruven, you've been absolutely terrific. It's been a pleasure to work with you over the past uh, a couple years on this, and of course, many years in playing fantasy itself. So thank you so much, Ruven. 
and thank you because you are the math guy. A lot of this is the math. I can only add my two-bit medical advice when it comes to the players and when they're going to come back. But, you know, I've, gotten, I've gained a lot of information from you over these past couple of years, and hopefully we'll do many more. Sounds good. All right, Uvain, why don't you just uh, tell everybody where we can find your stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates during the course of the season, after the season, and the next man up. I also have a weekly in-season article that comes out for your fab needs on Rotoballer. I'm Ariel Cohen, and you can read my work over at Fangraphs and at Rotoballer. I had a nice article up on each on each site this past week on Fangraphs. We talked about uh, comparing projections, my game theory analysis to see. How projections fared over the past year. Which one was the best? Uh, check it out and take a look. Uh, and on Rotoballer, we talked about the new rule changes and how projections would be handling it and when projections will be handling it. Some projections that are out now don't assume that they have the revisions uh, in terms of bigger bases, in terms of no shift. So take a look at that article, and that will give you a little bit of a timeline and a why and a how and by how much. Uh, to expect projections to change. So check that out. And, of course, you can listen to us right here every week on the Beat the Shift podcast. Each Well, you know the channel. It's this one that you're listening to. Um, and we're going to have a couple of extra episodes a week during draft season to get you in. We're going to do our positional previews, positional undervalued players, of course, with all the strategy uh, coming at you starting next week. So, uh, once again, thank you so much to our special guest from the Kansas City Royals, Vinny Pasquantino. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.